Well, folks, Shaw Jerry Adams, Arish, August Morris Grad, Tasolagum Sago will Shivsha, Gumoy. This is my third attempt to record this podcast. My first attempt was interrupted jovially by my two old chums, Tom and Jim. And then my second attempt was interrupted by Desmond, uh, Donald and Jack. So hopefully no one will come again until I'm finished this. But it is the time of Christmas. It is the time of taking the chance to meet up with old friends, to meet up with family and to enjoy the festivities. So I just want to say Banakti Deepsha Gulyar, Nolag Huna Deepsha Gulyar, and particularly to Marty who helps me with the podcast, to Richard who does the same, to the Belfast Media Group who published my column. And uh, just be mindful that Christmas can also be a, a lonely time for folks and uh, reach out to others who aren't as lucky as as we are. And I have sort of mixed views about Christmas. I'm very strongly against the commercialization of it all. I love the Christmas story. I love the story of Jesus and Mary and of Jesus' birth in a stable. The simpleness, simples, can nearly say it, the simplicity of it all and the way children relate to Daddy Nanolog appeals to me. So let's celebrate our humanity, raise a glass to absent friends and give thanks to all who enhance and brighten our lives. And earlier... Last week I was on my way to Craig Avon for a book signing event and the cold weather had conspired to create a very thick fog. And as we drove along the M1 we passed what remains of Longkai's prison and I was reminded of another December, another fog and life in the internment cages. It was December 1973. Republican prisoners were always scheming about ways to escape. Some would go on to the wire Others tried to go over or through the wire, and still others tried going through the gate, usually in the disguise as a visitor. Although in the Great Escape, they ran through the front gate, pursued by prison officers. On that famous occasion, 19 out of 38 escapees made it to freedom. Escape tunnels were dug on an ongoing basis, but these suited best the perimeter cages, And because of the time required, the problem involved in getting rid of the soil, the closeness of the water table to the surface of Long Cash, and the real difficulties encountered in actually tunnelling, many tunnels were discovered. Still, persistence sometimes paid off. And the camp authorities countered efforts by increased raids and surveillance, and wannabe escapees were badly treated if captured during an escape. We were beaten and subjected to spells in the punishment block, followed by charges in the Diplock courts. Q. Coney was shot dead by the British Army during an escape attempt in November 1974. Successful efforts to escape over or through the wire were aided by the fog, which frequently enveloped Long Cash in winter. Some of these escapes were unplanned. One of the best known ones was Blue, who just popped over the wire and made, wandered off, dandered away. And Alex Maskey, 
was also caught on a, an escape. So sometimes it was just a matter of being in the right place at the right time. But it helped, of course, to have wire cutters or other equipment. And a team of us way back in that 1973 period, in cage six, it was Marshall Mooney and Tommy Toland and Marty O'Raw and myself, all from the Murph. We gathered up all the necessary tools, including camouflage clothing, bolt cutters and hacksaws. We studied weather, studied weather reports and spent months sitting up for hours waiting for the fog to, fa- to fall. It didn't. After a while, we got bored with this standing by and the past the time we used to escape from the hut and sneak around the cage. Marshall Mooney became particularly adept at this, but beside his ingenuity, it was obvious we were getting nowhere fast. So fog or no fog, we decided to make a bid on Christmas Eve in 1973 during the Midnight Mass. By now we had established the blind spots on the wire. We perfected a method of getting to them. And Christmas Eve eventually arrived and when the rest of the inmates were locked up, we four cut our way out of cage six and crept into a gap between the internee and sentenced end of the cache. It was 10 o'clock. All around us we could hear the prison camp settling down for the night. It was very bright where we were. We were surrounded by miles of razor wire rolled in long tunnels and with watchtowers overlooking it all. Progress was slow. We crawled along inch by inch. By midnight, a slight fog had fallen. Security was immediately tightened. We could hear orders being shouted all around us and extra patrols were put out on the catwalk, which ran within feet of us to our right. Inside cage six to our left, a patrol was put in the cage. Unfortunately, the fog was too light to assist us, but the extra patrols meant we couldn't move. So we decided to sit tight under security it lifted. What's that there? I heard one screw ask. Ah, it's only an old football, replied his uh, companion. I realised it was Marshall Mooney's head they had spotted, but fortunately they continued their patrolling and we continued to sit tight. However, they returned after a while and one of them was convinced he could see something other than a football. The game was up. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas to you all, shouted Marshal Mooney, suddenly, as he emerged from the razor wire. Then he moved along the wire, trying to draw attention away from Tommy Toned, Marty O'Raw and myself. Searchlights cut through the darkness. Searing sounded, pandemonium broke out as shouting screws and screaming soldiers ran around all over the place, guard dogs snarling and barking, whistles blowing. Screws were shouting at Marshall to go to the other side of the wire, but when he produced his wire cutters and started to cut his way through, they shouted at him to stop. Still trying to draw attention away from us, he walked on along the wire, but there was just too much light and too much attention focused on us, so I decided to try another ruse in the hope that the other two might still be missed by the screws. I stood up and walked away from them, Marshall, who copped on immediately to what I was at, shouted, Hello! Hello, Nullag Honaditsa! As if we were old friends and he was greatly surprised to see me. We rushed into each other's arms, greeting each other like long-lost explorers. 
ignoring the screws, the dogs and the chaos which surrounded us. But the barking and the shouting rose to a new crescendo. The diversion didn't work and the, th- the screws threatened to set the dogs on us if we didn't go back the way we had come. The screws and the soldiers were pretty fired up as they bustled us up to the punishment block and Marshall and I took bad beatings. I was wearing a pair of spectacles which I had tied on and a senior, very senior person, official, pulled my glasses down and when he realised they weren't coming off he gauged, gouged my face so that the flesh was pulled away in a deep and ugly wound. Meanwhile, Tommy Toland had hit on the trick of shouting at Marty O'Raw in an English accent and pretending to be his escort and marching him up to the punishment blocks in the, 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 the melee and the scrum, all the time shouting insults at him. This succeeded in confusing the Brits, and so Marty and Tommy escaped being beaten. In the punishment block, we were taken one at a time and stripped naked. I was first. As I made my way draped in a blanket to a cell, Toadler slipped me a set of wire cutters. I put them under my mattress, and when we were returned to Cade six days later, the wire cutters came with me. Meanwhile, the four of us were locked up in separate cells, and the dogs were set loose in the corridor outside. We feared at any moment, at any moment, soldiers and warders would descend on us, and we kept our spirits up by shouting jokes back and forth to each other. Marshall and Toadler in particular gave the British soldiers a hard time. Despite their provocations, or maybe because of them, the night passed without incident, although at one stage a couple of senior British Army officers came in to have a look at us. The next day, Christmas Day, a British Army doctor was sent in to see me as part of the routine of checking that we were still alive. Can you give me some antiseptic cream for my face? I asked him. What's wrong with your face? He replied, looking straight at the ugly wound on the side of my nose and across my cheek. I hope you have a great Christmas, I told him. Happy Christmas to you too, he replied with a grunt, and away he went. Ho, 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 Marshall shouted again. Ho, 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 Nolakona did a hard ya. Nolakona ya, I shouted back to him and Marty and told her. And then I wrapped myself in my blanket and settled down to be entertained by these guys, by their festive and very funny and colourful tirade against the unfortunate British soldiers who guarded us. So that was a memory of Christmas and long cash, quite a long time ago. And uh, we're all in a better place since poor old Toadler uh, was killed sometime after he was released from prison. Poor Big Mick Marshall uh, died uh, of, of cancer and I, I haven't had any word of Marty in some time. But long cash is closed. Interment is finished with, and this Christmas, time to think of old friends and to, as I said, raise a glass to absent ones, but it's also uh, a good time. So, Bunagi Salt As, Banakti Deepsha, blessings to everyone. Relax, enjoy it. And I'm going to finish with uh, Mirren Neolig's Takinyal and Lenov Isa. And then with our very fine rendition of Have Yourself a Merry 
little Christmas. Enjoy Aharja. 2023, here we come.
Ooh. Mm-hmm. 